0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 7, the book of Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to continue our walk um, over this last week, beginning with Pastor Charlie and this week and and next, uh, our walk through a series called Spooky Spirituality. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Matt Mastis, and I'm privileged to have an opportunity to come and to be with you and, and to speak out of God's Word this morning. Um, if you remember last week, Pastor Charlie started us off in the series um, called Spooky Spirituality in a passage in Matthew chapter 7, and he was talking through verses 13 and 14 last week. And I'm going to continue our, our trek through that passage today as we read verses 15 through 19. But to give us an idea of the context, because as Pastor Charlie reminded us last week, context is important, I want us to go ahead and and read kind of the balance of that. So we're going to actually start in verse 13 again, and we're going to read through verse 23. I promise you I'm not covering all of that ground today. We'll be focusing in on verses 15 through, through 20 today. But I want us to just have a sense of what Jesus is telling us here at the back half of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So hear with me the word of the Lord in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter the narrow gate... For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. See, there are many, many people who go through that gate. This walk with Jesus is an exclusive kind of walk. You see that? That not everybody goes the way that we desire to go, sadly. Verse 15, beware of false prophets, your translation may say, look out. For false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That should give us... Pause for a moment. Jesus says similar things in other places like in John chapter 15 when he says that the uh, branches that aren't connected to the vine die, they wither up and die and they're gathered together and they're burned. We should pay attention to those things. Verse 21, even scarier so. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And here we go with the scary words continuing. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus um, We're not going to sugarcoat things this morning. We're not going to lie and and say this is easy to digest. Uh, We'll say that these seem like hard words, Jesus, and in fact they are. But they're hard words that are intended for us to hear and to heed and to pay attention to because your desire for us is to look like you, Jesus. And if we don't pay attention to these things, we may end up looking like something far other than you. And so it's our prayer that we would be changed today because your word changes us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Today, church, we're going to be talking about discernment. We're going to be talking about discernment. And a couple questions I have for you this morning as we move through the Well, we'll get to those in a minute. We're going to talk about discernment. Before we get there, I want to define discernment for you. Um, When we did the teaching run-through on Thursday, I didn't have this part in the passage. And Pastor Charlie said, hey, you might want to define that word discernment for us. And so I said, that's a really good idea. And so I sat down and I thought, man, how would I how would I define discernment? I didn't, I didn't Google this. I didn't look it up, just so you know. Um, so if you have a problem with this definition of discernment, this is my definition of discernment. So if you think it's heretical, blame me. Don't blame anybody else. But this is the definition of discernment that we're going to be working with this morning. Discernment is the spirit-led practice of applying the wisdom of God to what we sense, feel, and experience. I want you to write that down. It's not on your note page because I failed to get it in on time because it's a, a recent edition, but I think it's very, very important for us today. This might be the most important thing for you to understand and apply today to your life. Discernment is the spirit-led practice of applying the wisdom of God to what we sense, feel, and experience. You see how important that is? Because let's let's just look at this really quickly. When we, it's this led by the Spirit, so God's Spirit leads us in this practice, and we take this wisdom of God, and how do we understand the wisdom of God? Where do we gain the wisdom of God? In His Word, through prayer, through the community called the church. That's where we gain the wisdom of God. And we apply that wisdom to what we sense, to the things that we see, to the things that we hear, to to everything that our senses give to us. We apply the wisdom of God to that, because most of the time our senses are neutral, When we see something, it's neutral. When we hear something, it's neutral. We also apply the wisdom of God to the things that we feel. Our feelings are neutral. Love is a neutral kind of feeling. It's neither good nor bad. Desire is a neutral feeling. Affection is a neutral feeling. When you start to feel something inside, hatred, anger, right? You start to feel these things. There's a moment we can take when we say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm experiencing. What does God have to say about that? And the more we apply the wisdom of God to those things, the things that we sense and the things that we feel, the experiences that we have, the more able we are to hear the heart of God. Because when we practice discernment, we get to the heart of God. Why is this important? Friends, if we fail to exercise discernment in every area of life, the danger of being deceived or to led astray is real. So my purpose in preaching to you this morning is so that you'll learn to practice discernment in every area of life. And you see, the need for discernment is not a new need that we have. In fact, we, it doesn't take us too long when we read God's Word, to see that we had a complete lack of discernment. First in the garden, right? Adam and Eve had a complete lack of discernment. They experienced something. The serpent was saying things to them and actually kind of doubting God towards Adam and Eve. You remember? He said things like, did God really say? And you remember Eve had an experience. She had a feeling like she saw that the apple or the fruit, rather, we don't know if it was an apple. She saw that the fruit looked good and desirable to eat. She said, Oh, I see this thing. It looks good to me. I'm hearing these words that are being said to me. But she failed to practice discernment, right? To apply the wisdom of God to her situation. A little bit later, or a lot later, there was a man named Moses, and he led people out of Egypt, and then he went to commune with God, and he left Aaron in charge. You remember that in Genesis 32? And then what happened? It says that when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So Aaron hears this. He hears this. And then look what happens. Then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. So first Aaron was deceived by the words of the people. And then look, he leads himself into deception, doesn't he? He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made the image of a calf. And then it gets worse. Look what he does next. Then they said, Israel, this this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before for it. Another failure of discernment. Aaron was deceived and then he led people in deception. Do you see how easily you can become party with Satan in your own deception? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So it goes on from there. A couple questions for you church as we move through the message this morning. Number one, what areas of my life require greater discernment? You see, I didn't ask you if there are areas in your life that require greater discernment, but rather what those areas are. Because the truth is, the areas in life where we each require discernment are going to be different for each of us because we're different people. The, the foothold that Satan wants to, to gain in your life is going to be different depending on your makeup, your, your family history, the things that kind of attract you, and the things that don't. And so you have to be discerning. You have to apply that wisdom of God to those areas of your life. So what areas of your life require greater discernment? Next, who can I invite into deeper relationship? Who can I invite into deeper relationship? And we'll talk a little bit more about this, but discernment is not a solo activity. It's not a solo activity. Again, back to Adam and Eve. Eve was trying to do this, listening to the serpent. And we don't really know where Adam is at that point, but she's not really talking. And if Adam's there, he's not talking to the Lord about it at that point, is he? I assume he was there also, or very close behind. Because when you're a man, and you're just with the woman, and she's naked, you're naked, you're just going to be around her, right, generally. So, can't be far behind. But he didn't apply the wisdom of God to that situation. So, before we just spend all this time talking about what we're going to talk about. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Today, church, we're talking about practicing spirit-led discernment. And to do that, we're going to do two things. We need to learn to look out, and then we're going to learn to look in. We need to look out, and then we need to look in. If you remember with me, here in Matthew chapter 7, we're actually in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the back end of that, and this is the passage in Scripture where Jesus is talking about the kind of people that Messiah's people are. You remember, crowds are starting to follow him, and he he's preaching this gospel and demonstrating this gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, it says that he is he's going around, and he's preaching this kingdom of heaven that says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's in him, and then he's healing people everywhere he's going. So he's just demonstrating and he's proclaiming the gospel, a two-fisted gospel. He's saying good news and he's doing good news things. And he wasn't interested in merely tickling ears and attracting followers, but rather calling people into a radically different way of life. As Pastor Charlie shared with us last week, and you'll hear more about next week, Jesus didn't come to make our lives easier. He didn't come merely to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card or to give you your best life now. But rather, he came to show you, O Christian, that that he is enough. He came to show you that he he is enough. He didn't come to tell you that you're good, but that he is good and he does good. I wonder if you believe that today. Do you believe that he is good and that he does good? Do you believe that? Now I want you to be careful how you answer that question if you believe that God is good and that He does good because if you amen that in agreement then you assent to take whatever the Father gives to you is good for you. When you, when you say you believe that God is good and that He does good, you say, yes, we, we believe that. You're, you're saying that you're taking the things that He gives to you is good, good for you. You see how you need discernment to see that? That the things that God gives to you are, are good for you? It may not always feel that way, right? And that's why when we feel according to the things that we experience, we have to apply the wisdom of God to that situation. And know and trust and remember that He is good and that He does good. And sometimes that means we have to acknowledge that the discipline of the Father is good for us. The chastening of the Father is good for us. Here in Matthew 7 and verse 15, Jesus says to beware, to watch out for false prophets. Listen, church, we often like to think that God has a plan for our life. And in one sense, he does. It's wrapped up in his larger plan. God does have a plan for you, but we often fail to remember the corollary, namely that the enemy has a plan for your life as well, which runs counter to the plan of God for you. In fact, that word, Satan's name, means adversary. Satan has a name. His name is Lucifer. He's a fallen angel. You can read about that in the Old Testament. And when he rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him in rebellion, and God cast them out from his presence because nothing sinful can dwell in the presence of God. And so God cast them away from his presence. He cast them down. And when he did that, he, he gave Lucifer the name Satan, adversary, adversary. And so that's Satan's plan for you as well, that he would, he would be, work against the plan of God in your life. And so you need to remember that Satan's plan runs counter to the plan of God, and he does have one for you. And you know, sometimes you know what the plan of Satan is? is just to make you think that you're good. Think that you got your life figured out, that you don't need any help from anybody. He would be just perfectly, Satan would be perfectly content if all you did was come here on Sunday morning and your life looked no different. He would love that. You're no threat to the kingdom of darkness when you just come and you don't really do anything except sit here. He would love that. You to be inactive and out of the mission field and off the front lines. He'd love that. He'd love it. Scripture tells us that He's our adversary, and he roves around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And here Jesus warns us that one of the instrumentalities of Satan are false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. So how do we identify these false prophets? Well, first of all, false prophets advocate a broad and easy way. False False prophets advocate a broad and easy way. Friends, Jesus never made it easy on anybody, and he never took the easy way. Just to tell you this morning that the prosperity gospel is a lie, if you need a definition for what that is, the prosperity gospel teaches you that if you just love God and believe and have enough faith, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. You'll have enough money, you'll never get sick, No one around you will die, and if those things happen, if you're ever without a job, you're ever unemployed, you ever have sickness, if your family members die, if cancer strikes your family, then somehow you must lack faith, and you're not pleasing to God. And there are several people that advocate this prosperity gospel. If if you've heard that before or have been tempted to believe that, let me tell you and remind you that the gospel isn't that God will save you from the storms of life, but that he will sustain you through the storms of life. Amen? Try telling all of those followers of Jesus in Houston or in Vegas or in Puerto Rico that they just didn't believe enough. That they just didn't have enough faith. No. That is not the gospel. But rather, we have a God who sustains us us regardless of what will come. and He has something to teach us regardless of what may happen to us or the things that come why because his sustaining is enough because of the reward that awaits us you know what the reward that awaits us when we abide in him it's him it's him it's jesus i love how uh, the psalmist puts it david in psalm chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8 he says you have put more joy in my heart speaking of god he says, oh Lord, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their new grain and their new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace because you alone, O oh Lord, allow me to dwell in safety. David says, I, I, no created thing has the power to sustain me like you do. So friends, when you're, when you're tempted to allow your worth and value in life to be determined by something that was created, remember that, that it's only the Lord that allows you to live in safety. And that he, he's the only one that gives you sustaining and true joy. False prophets advocate a broad and easy way. Secondly, false prophets have terrible math. False prophets don't believe Jesus is enough. Now, when I say terrible math, listen, this is what I mean. You see, false prophets tells us that, tell us that Jesus plus rules is what you need. But in reality, that's just legalism. That's bad math. False prophets also may tell us that we need Jesus plus experience. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's mysticism. Well, it's not enough to have Jesus. You need this ethereal, mystical experience. You need to feel it all the time, right? If you're not feeling it, then you're missing it somehow. No, that's not the gospel. But what is the gospel? It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just... Friend, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Over and over and over again, it's just Jesus. Let me let you in on a not so greatly kept secret. Our biggest hope isn't to get people to stop sinning. It's to help them see that Jesus is enough. You see that? Because we, you know why we sin? Because we want to. That's why, and typically, it's because we see a good in the things that we're doing. If you if you've been around people that are addicted, they see a good in that; they want it, like they, they can't function without it, even though it's killing them. Right? That's what that's what sin is. Addiction's just a, a picture of sin. You just keep living in this thing that you know is not good for you. It could be a toxic relationship. It could be a an, an addicted or addictive oriented substance. It could be a thought that you have. It could be success. It could be material things. You're addicted, you're addicted to them. You think that that's what you need. And our goal isn't to get you to stop doing those things. It's to help you see that Jesus is enough. Because when you, when you see that Jesus is enough, then nothing else in this world can satisfy you or will be able to satisfy you. And when you get joy and satisfaction of the things in life, you'll see that those are the things, the conduit through which God is loving you. Do you see that? He gives you things because he, he's a good father and he wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants you to have experiences and to feel and experience joy in life. Moving on with false prophets. Thankfully, we aren't without hope in discerning who these false prophets are because Jesus tells us we'll know them by their fruit. A couple things you need to know about discernment. Discernment takes time and it's best done in a community of people. You know that. Discernment takes time, and it's best done in a community of people. Discernment is not a pop tart, all right? You can't you can't microwave it, and it's nor is it for you alone. You can't share a pop tart, right? You can't you can't do that. You can't invite someone unless you're an eighth grader. You don't come invite someone to your house to have a pop tart, right? And the pop tart's not really great eating. And if you believe that, you've been deceived, dear brother. That's not the best eating there is. But the sermon is more like a slow, ter- slow cooker. Okay, yesterday, yesterday, I smoked ribs in my pit barrel smoker. And I smoked them for six hours. And it was a long wait, Right? And it took a lot of time. I had to prep them, you know. You got to, like, take them out of the package. You got to rinse them off, and you dry them, and then you put your rub on there. Put olive oil first, olive oil first, and then you put your rub on there. Both sides, a whole lot of it. Don't get stingy with that rub, and you get it on there. And then I have a pit barrel smoker, all right. So you got to get the smoker going, get it started, and then you you put your your rebar in there, and then you hook the meat with the the hooks, and you hang it on there, and then you put the lid on, and then you... You wait for three hours, right? And then you pull them out of there and then you, you lather them down with barbecue sauce on both sides, really good. And then you hang them back in there and you wait for another half an hour. And then you pull them back off of there and then you lather them with barbecue sauce again and you wrap them in foil and then you set them in there and then you put the lid on and you wait for another hour. And then you pull them out and you bring them inside and then you wait for another half an hour. right? And then you cut them up really, oh man, these are nice big cuts, uh, each individual rib and you're just waiting you're just waiting and then because your wife says that friends are coming over then you have to wait again <laughs> and so you you wrap them in foil and you put them in a bowl and you wait right and then the friends come and their, their kids are there and they start playing and so then they come and sit in the living room and you you wait again right <laughs> and then your wife says oh it's time to eat and you're, it's a glory right I've been, I've been waiting since 11 o'clock this morning right and it's 7 right And then you get to eat. And it's good. And you get to eat with other people. And that's even better. That's even better. And friends, just like my smoked, slow-cooked ribs with friends is way better than a Pop-Tart. You know, standing in your kitchen at 2 a.m. when you're alone and wondering what life's about. (laughs) Not that you've ever experienced that discernment is best done over time with a community of people why because as we showed in the stories of adam and eve and with aaron we're easily deceived and at times we're satan's biggest allies in our own self-deception and just as it takes time for a tree to produce fruit it takes time to discern properly and just a word for you here about discernment though before we get too far along being overly critical is just as dangerous as being uncritical you see that If you're like me, you have sometimes a difficult enough time discerning what the the voice of God is in your life, and so we need to be careful before we just kind of willy-nilly go discerning the voice of God in somebody else's life. Because we we may not know, right? Just be careful with that. So how do we practice spirit-led discernment? Well, we have to be well acquainted with good fruit, okay? The more acquainted you become with good fruit, the more able you are to spot bad fruit. I love coffee all right? I only drink very good coffee. And someone says, Matt, my wife told me, when, Matt, when you talk about coffee, it just makes people not want to drink coffee with you or invite you over to their house and serve you coffee because you're not going to like it very much. I'm like, no, I'm a incredibly nice person. She's like, the problem is you talk about liking coffee so much because I love it, right? But some people don't like coffee because they've never had good coffee, right? They've, they've lived a Folger's existence their entire life. It's like, brother, that's uncreation, okay? That's not good for you. I go see my, my wife's grandpa. He, he makes half-calf Folgers at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it sits on the hot plate all day. And so when I go and see him at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to play guitar with him, when we go back to Wichita, he's like, hey, Matt, you want some coffee? And I'm thinking, God, help me. God, help, help me drink this coffee with this lovely man, right? I just want to talk to him and hear stories and play guitar, but I got I to gotta drink this, right? And I hate it, right? I love Wayne, so I'm going to do it. But, that's, but sometimes that's, that's, what, that's what we need to remember because in order for us to know what good fruit is, we don't eat a lot of bad fruit. We eat good fruit. And the more acquainted we become with good fruit, the more able we are to spot bad fruit. And the more acquainted we come with God and the gospel of his son Jesus, the easier it becomes to spot false gospels and paper saviors. As Pastor Charlie told us last week, everything we want in life has a voice, and only one voice speaks truth. Remember? Remember? And so the more that we become acquainted with what the truthful voice sounds like, the more we're able to spot the false voices when they come. So how do we do that? We read God's word, we worship, we pray, we live life in community, we learn. And when we pursue God in this way, we become better equipped to spot bad fruit. So church, look out. But next we need to look in. Because there's an intended warning in this for us as followers of Jesus. Look at verse 17. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. It's not the nature of thistle to produce fruit. And the kind of fruit we produce is dependent on the type of tree that we are. And as we said again, friends, if we're not careful, we can become co-laborers with Satan in our own deception, deception. and the remedy for that is to look in. So I want to ask you, what fruit is being made manifest in your life? What fruit is being made manifest in your life? True fruit is what we find on display in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what it looks like, read chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew here. True fruit is poverty of the Spirit it's mourning over your own sin. It's an appetite for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, godly endurance under trial, spurning of hatred, spurning of lust, and spurning of vengeance. You need to ask yourself if you're a truth teller, if, though, if you're those who sacrificially love for your neighbors. And so sometimes, church, we need to do some personal fruit inspection. You need to squeeze your own fruit. Now listen, you can squeeze your friends you can squeeze your fruit, but don't squeeze your friend's fruit, right? You need to squeeze your fruit. You need to examine that fruit in your life. Who, I man, I, oh god! Just we're talking about everything. I love today. I love pomegranates, all right. And you know why? They take time. You can't just like buy, don't bite a pomegranate. Don't just grab one and just tear into it. It's bad, bad news. Okay. You got to like cut it open, you got to peel it apart, and you got to dig the seeds out, and then you got to bat your children away because they try and steal from your good work that you do because it takes time and like, get away from me, get behind me Satan. I don't know you right now. Get away from my pomegranate seeds, okay? Right? You don't you don't eat bad pomegranate if you want to know what good pomegranate is, and sometimes you got to squeeze it to know if it's good or not. The same thing with the fruit in our life. We have to inspect it once in a while to see what kind of fruit that it is. Listen, though, examining our own fruit isn't always possible in our own strength. Living this life that's composed of good fruits not possible in our own strength, but only in radical dependence on Jesus. And here's the truth of why that is the case. The truth is, church, we're all bad trees. We're all bad trees. And left to our own, we will produce bad fruit. In the book of Romans, Paul says it like this. He said that there were some vessels of honor and then there were some vessels of dishonor. Remember that passage? But the point of that isn't that God makes some people to be bad or to be unuseful to him. It's that he takes those vessels of honor and he transforms them into vessels of honor. (laughs) He takes the things that other people thought were good for nothing and he makes them holy, set apart, and pure. And it's the same thing with us. We are all bad trees that produce bad fruit. We are diseased and desperate and rotten and unable to heal our sickness. And the good news of the gospel is that God turns trees from bad to good. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? We have a God who changes the nature of the tree. He changes the nature of the tree. And it's only in dependence and surrender that we actually produce true fruit and that's fruit that remains. And so I want to ask you again, friends what areas of your life require greater discernment for some of you it may be in the area of finances for some of you it may be with your emotions you're not applying discernment to what you feel you you just kind of like react right and you don't know, take a minute and say what is what does god's wisdom say to me in this thing that i'm feeling man if we have to do that right if, we, if we're practicing discernment, it's very unlikely that we'll have an affair. Because what, what is this thing that is going on in here? What, this thing that I'm seeing or feeling, wait a minute, time out. I don't know if that's rightly, God, what are you, how can you help me with this right now? Make a better decision. What areas of your life require greater discernment? Secondly, who can you invite into deeper relationship? Because remember, oh, friend, you want smoke, smoke, slow cooked, smoked ribs. You don't want a pop tart, right? And you want to eat it not by yourself, but with others, with other people. A couple takeaways for you today. Well, first, I just want you to remember to get your math right. I want you to get your math right. It's not Jesus plus rules. It's not Jesus plus experience. It's just Jesus plus nothing. And that's everything. That's everything. Secondly, I want you to eat better. I want you to eat better. I want you to pick smoked ribs over Pop-Tarts. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pick a community of people over standing barefoot in your kitchen at 2 in the morning. And finally, just squeeze your own fruit. Take time to do that. Examine your life. Take heed of yourself, right? Lest you fall. Examine yourself. I was listening to a podcast this week um, by John Piper. and um, the, the people asked him, the people interviewing him said, what, what advice would you have to your 20-year-old self? And he said, just the same advice my dad gave to me. Johnny, keep your room clean. Whatever room I'm in, he said, I just want to keep it clean. And when I do that, God moves me into a different room, sometimes a bigger one. So if you want influence in your life, keep your room clean, church. Keep yourself holy and pure. Every day I write down in a, in a journal that I keep what I'm praying for that day and who I'm praying for that day. It's one of the things I do. and the same, I write down the same thing every day that I'm praying. I'm praying that I would pursue holiness every day. Every day. And then at the end of the day, I, I examine my day. I look over and I get, did I pursue holiness today? Was Was I in pursuit of that? the holiness of God. Did I pursue God? Did I just want to I want to know him. Do I want my life to look like his every day? Do I want to do I want to do the things that God wants me to do or did I want to do what I wanted to do today? And I don't I'm not successful with that all the time, church, confessionally. Sometimes I look back on my day and I'm like, I was a horrible person to be around today. I think I pursued selfishness today more than I pursued Jesus. And then I repent, God forgive me for pursuing my desires instead of yours. And tomorrow's a new day, Jesus, that I get to abide with you. I get to pursue you. So help me to see what you're doing so I can be with you in it. We're gonna move into a time of response this morning. Curtis and some others are gonna come and, and play. And the, the invitation this morning is just super straightforward, super simple. Super straightforward, super simple. It's to move in closer to Jesus. Wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, I just challenge, encourage, and invite you to move in a little closer. Maybe for you, that's that's confessing sin. Maybe for you, that's repairing a broken relationship. Whatever the challenge it is that you're facing, just move in closer to Jesus this morning. I, I would love if you'd like me to pray with you or for you in any way. I'll be standing here off to the side. And if you'd like me to come, I just come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to come to the front and pray and spend some time with Jesus. Maybe you just need to sit and bow your head in your seat or grab someone that invited you or your friend that you came with and say, I need you to pray with me about this today. But however it is that God is leading you, now is your time to respond. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we trust you because sometimes we are untrustworthy. We can't trust ourselves. And so we pray today, Jesus, that as we think about your words for us, That our lives would change, that we would move in closer to you. God, help us to see that your desire for us is to look like your son, Jesus. And as we think about that, we pray that our desire would match yours. God, we pursue you today. We move in closer to you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.